Today I am speaking on listening. Listening to ourselves and listening to others. Evidently, in order to listen well to others, it helps if we can learn to listen to ourselves first. And what does it mean to listen to ourselves? Well, this type of listening is referred to in many ways. The Quakers refer to it as the small voice within. Hindus may describe this voice as the divine or the Atman. We may call it our inner spirit that springs from our hearts. And many would say it's best labeled as intuition. Whatever you believe it to be, following your inner voice is definitely not a linear process of analysis. Rather, it involves an intuitive thought that seems to make a leap to an insight or a solution. Ram Das who since the 60s has written and lectured on the integration of Eastern spiritual philosophy into Western thought, describes following our intuition as an exciting adventure. He says, we don't know how things will turn out, but we listen without planning, analyzing, theorizing, or judging. It's a kind of surrender based on trust. Some people claim that we used to be intuitive beings, but that through the years we've lost it somehow. Now we seem unable to trust it, to honor it, to manifest it. But the ability to hear the message involves a quieting of the mind, a letting go of distracting thoughts, like when we meditate. And when we are able to quiet our own thoughts, then we make a space available to truly hear the gift of our inner voice. After quieting our own minds, we can then begin to hear what others have to say. We can listen in a way that maybe could not be obtained if we were busy, mind-boggled, and emotionally inaccessible. In How Can I Help, Ram Das explains, someone's in pain, we care. So part of the time we are listening, but we may also be using our minds to try to solve the problem. There's a pull to be efficient, to look for some kind of resolution. We reach for certain familiar models or approaches. In order to be helpful, our analytic mind must stay on top of it all. So we jump between listening and judging, but in our zeal to help, 
we may increase the distance between our, our, the other person and our own consciousness. We find ourselves primarily in our own thoughts, not with the other person. There are a number of blocks to active listening. See if you do any of the following. As you are listening, do you, one, compare yourself to him or her? Two, are you mind reading? Is she really saying fill in the blank? Three, rehearsing. When he says this, I'll make this point. Four, judging. Wow, this person's crazy. Five, dreaming. Thinking that you're hungry and where you're going to pick up lunch from. Six, the biggest one that I'm guilty of identifying, or taking what the person says and relating my own story to them. Seven, we may try to advise them. Eight, arguing. You know, I I think you're wrong about... Nine, do you derail the listening process by changing the subject or making a joke. And 10, then there's always placating. Well, of course you are whatever, and you just agree with whatever the person's saying. Wouldn't it be a lot easier to just let go of all this thinking and just Listen. Buddhists term the overactive mind the monkey mind. In Hinduism, it's the chitta of the mind. Sometimes we can virtually wear ourselves out with overthinking. But if we truly want to hear ourselves and others, We need to let go of the distractions of the mind. There needs to be a quieting of our being. And as we become quiet, we find ourselves present to the other person. Again, during this time, we are not trying to fix. We are not trying to help them solve their issues by coming up with ideas or answers. We are being a compassionate sounding board so that the person before us can come up with their own answers. As a result of our listening, they hear themselves by thinking out loud and their small voice within, their intuition speaks to them. It's a gift that we give. It's a beautiful moment of loving them. As Das puts it, it removes the veils from our heart. It allows us to meet one another in the purity of love.
Now I know that when I begin to talk meditation and love, I may be getting a little too peace, love, and granola here. So how about if I relate and share something about myself? A year out of interfaith seminary, I completed my first level of chaplaincy with Frederick Memorial Hospital as an intern with hospice. Between my internship and volunteering, I was with hospice for almost a year. With each patient, I tried to empty my mind at the door. I didn't bring personal baggage to my visits, and I tried to dispel worries about past visits. I would consciously breathe. As some people's illnesses progressed very rapidly, I wouldn't know week to week what situation I would find my patient in. I would only discover their bodily condition, their state of mind, their level of consciousness after I passed through the doorway. Each visit was a new visit, and I entered the room with an open heart to whatever I may find. I am no longer working for hospice, but I am finding that people seem to be put in front of me who need to be listened to. Recently, a cashier told me that her second husband and her brother had died within weeks of each other. A woman at a motel desk told me her husband died of cancer and she was going to have to sell the hotel. I didn't mention to either person that I was a chaplain. Is it written on the back of my dress or my shirt and I just don't realize it? Um, a, a woman in the soup aisle at Weiss told me about her recovery from cancer, and by the time I got to the cereal aisle, I knew her entire life story. And you know what? It's okay. I smile because I know there's a reason. Ram Das addresses this when he says, when people sense you've made room for them within you, they are more likely to open up, to feel freer to be who they are, to claim their own healing potential. Of course, boundaries may need to be set at times, but that's another sermon, isn't it? The fact that our society rewards us for being effective more than it does for our being mindful of others or good listeners is where I will close my talk for today. I'm in an unusual position of being a minister without a church and a chaplain without a workplace. But my current path seems to be to listen and accompany others on their journeys no matter who they are or where I meet them. 
I am doing what has become a part of me. I'm listening to my heart, my intuition. And I've realized that we all need to stop judging our self-worth by what job title we have and to start seeing who we are inside. How many of us judge ourselves by standards outside of ourselves? In my interfaith seminary, Rabbi Roger would say that we don't want to be a human doing. We want to be a human being. And that, in my opinion, begins with listening to ourselves and listening to others. E.E. E. Cummings wrote, We do not believe in ourselves until someone reveals that something deep inside us is valuable, worth listening to, worthy of our trust, sacred to our tr- touch. Once we believe in ourselves, we can risk curiosity, wonder, spontaneous delight for any experience that reveals the human spirit. I confess that as I considered beginning with this quote, I immediately imagined the challenges and arguments you might be forming at this moment. By been my experience that we Unitarian Universalists tend to deeply value our autonomy and independence while emphasizing self-discovery and intellectualizing our experiences. So perhaps our human, our UU nature, leads us to resist the idea that at times we might need someone else to help us believe in ourselves that we might need another person to reveal our inner goodness, beauty, and strength. This reflection comes from witnessing the profound ways we are deeply connected to one another, the ways we need one another at life's most important moments, and the gifts we offer each other at those moments. This reflection comes from my personal experiences where the beauty and the resiliency of the human spirit had been revealed. Many of you know that my life journey included an unexpected detour in 2010 when I listened to that still, small voice and trusted that it was time to pursue a calling to chaplaincy. You've often asked me, just what is a chaplain? And sometimes more specifically, Just what does a UU chaplain do? And these are all good questions. And really, the answer that comes most comfortably is that as a chaplain, I've been given the privilege and the responsibility to be present with individuals for a portion of their journey as they face moments of great joy and relief, as well as tremendous pain, sadness, and loneliness. And at these moments, I convey through my words and my presence that the person before me is not alone, that they are seen and heard, that they matter, and that the burden they carry matters. I believe the questions I'm asked sometimes come from the image we hold of a chaplain wearing a white collar 
being called to a patient's bedside shortly before death. And that is part of the chaplain's role. In my experiences of being with patients, families, and staff at times of crisis, in preparing for death, and during transitions from life to death, these have been a sacred responsibility that has touched me deeply. More often, however, I've been the one person on the interdisciplinary care team who's arrived at the patient's room without an agenda, without any particular task or test to complete. I'm the one who can simply offer my presence. To a young mother preparing to return home with her newborn baby under hospice care. With an elderly husband choosing to remain present with the love of his life hours after her death with the adult children who are unsure of their decisions for a parent, and to the middle-aged woman waiting anxiously for a test result or a diagnosis. Sometimes with words, but more often with my way of being, I convey I'm here. You are not alone. How may I help? With rare exceptions, perhaps offering a cool cloth, holding a hand, or adjusting a pillow. There is often very little to do for these individuals. But offering a safe space where people can talk about their feelings, share parts of their life story, or simply rest peacefully, knowing they are not alone. This most often leads to a sense of peace and calm as they draw from their own inner resources and prepare to face what lies ahead. Knowing that another image of the chaplain is one who arrives with a sacred book and leads a formal prayer, and remembering that some you use feel uncomfortable with the idea of prayer, this helps frame another common question of, ugh, but do you pray? Again, there are moments, such as times of crisis or death, when a prayer is needed quickly, and I have to trust my intuition about what is appropriate. More often, though, When I arrive at a room and a patient asks, Chaplain, would you pray with me? I have the opportunity to respond with something like, I'd be honored. What do you wish to pray for? And there's the opening for the patient or the family member or staff member to begin expressing their own hopes and fears the burdens and hurts and disappointments they've been carrying for years or decades or sometimes even a lifetime. It's amazing the story that comes out of that question. And when you listen to what is shared, both verbally and non-verbally, and then offer it back in the form of a prayer, there is a tremendous affirmation of the individual's feelings, words, and experiences. Again, this conveys that the person matters, their feelings matter, and their words matter. Sometimes my questions might include, tell me about what brings meaning to your life. Where are your sources of strength? What do you hope for? What brings you joy? And sometimes, while the person is responding, there's a noticeable transformation. 
sometimes a subtle but definite shift, perhaps a slight relaxation. Imagine holding your breath and then letting it out with a gentle sigh. We all carry joys, uh, experiences of joys and pain, yet the stories we share of our joy and our pain are uniquely our own. And sometimes when we are ready and we begin to share our stories, we open ourselves to the possibility of healing and wholeness, contentment and peace. I invite you to pause for a moment. Can you think of a time when someone really listened to you? with their whole being and without distractions. Perhaps they didn't say anything and simply offered the gift of their silent yet attentive presence. How did you feel? And similarly, on occasions when you've offered your undivided attention to another person, how did you feel in those moments of gentle yet supportive focus? One aspect of my chaplaincy journey that surprised me was the reflection and work I would do with my own places of fear, disappointment, pain, and even hope and joy. I learned that to be truly present to the needs of another, without our own needs or hurts or thoughts getting in the way, we each have to be willing to face those aspects of ourselves that we prefer to leave in the shadows. There is much to be said about what is kept in those shadows. For now, I'll briefly reference the hard-earned wisdom of Presbyterian minister John Shuck and offer that we each enter the dark, sometimes by choice and sometimes not. And yet, upon entering the dark, we might discover the courage to take on what we find, revealing our vulnerability, in bringing to light unexpected sources of strength, joy, and healing. Facing our shadows prepares us to remain more fully present to others, standing with them in places of difficulty and uncertainty, no longer afraid. And of course, none of this is limited to the role of a chaplain. Simply by being human and living in relationship with others, we are each called to care for one another, through offering an attentive and compassionate presence and listening, providing a caring and supportive presence to those around us. One of the reasons I'm most proud to be a Unitarian Universalist is that we are active, we get involved, and we do great work that makes a difference in our world. And as you go about your important and much-needed work in this world, I encourage you to risk really getting to know the people you are working with and the people you are working for. This intentional act of being present and of caring enough to stay focused on a person and listen, it will change the way you view your work. It will change your commitment to the important work that you do. And in conclusion, I return to words I've shared with you before words that you've let me know were very meaningful to you. Dr. Jerry Fulkowski, one of my Loyola professors, regularly offered the reminder that we often hold hope for others when they're not able to, or until they're able to grasp hope for themselves. 
Our responses to one another matter. At times, we might not even fully realize the impact our words or our presence have made. In offering our attentive presence and listening, we offer hope to one another. We hold that hope for them, honoring the inherent worth and dignity of those we are with. May the gifts of peace and hope be with each of you.